back on uh, One True Podcast, talking Baylor and Big 12 college football. I'm Bryce Cherry. Alongside me, as always, is Mr. John Werner. And joining us again for the second straight week, it was such a big hit last week, we had Chad Conan. I, I guess maybe I'm a normal contributor now. There you go. Well, all I can say is the public has demanded it. <laughs> okay. I'm going to need to see the public. Um... So, guys, the cliche tells us that uh, a team's biggest improvement comes from week one to week two. You hear that all the time. That's uh, it's one of those, you know, colloquialisms. That's a hard word to say. Uh, it only took you two tries to get it out there. Yeah, and the second time wasn't much better. <laughs> um, you hear that a lot. And even Dave Aranda, I think, was asked about it last week and, and agreed with that assessment that, you know, usually a team makes its biggest strides week one to week two. So then what exactly happened to the Bears? And, and what do you feel like the most disappointing element of that West Virginia game was? Well, I'd say unquestionably it's their offensive line. Uh, you know, I, I – Kind of had questions about it after the Kansas game. I thought, well, they looked okay, but then it's Kansas. And uh, they had some guys back, you know, three guys who missed that game. I thought, well, maybe it'll get a little better. It got a lot worse. <laughs> um, gave up six sacks. They couldn't run the ball. Uh, what, penalties. Three? Penalties. You what, Ebner and Lovett ran for a combined 20 carries for 32 yards. And... Uh, it was, I thought it looked worse than last year, and that was their obvious weak point last year. So, you know, maybe they can fix some things during this bye week, but, uh, boy, it, it needs to get a whole lot better. I would say that, you know, that idea that you get better, your, most in, or your biggest improvement is between week one and week two, I would think that really applies to a normal year in which you have spring football and summer workouts mm -hmm. and preseason practice all August and your first live game one week and then your next live game the next week. Just when the, the conveyor belt is operational, which it is not this year in 2020 yeah. in any way whatsoever. Okay. So, you know, I, don't be an alarmist. And, and I want to keep saying, you know, until everybody says it or the, the year proves me wrong, that this is a season of scrimmages. You yeah, know, you've, you've used uh, that word, that phrase before, and I think it applies. Um, but on the other hand, on the flip side of it, you guys with all your 8 out of 10s last week on the Kansas game, and I was like, ah, five and a half. I think I was a little bit closer on that one. Uh, and I that was where I was going to go with my own thoughts on this is, uh, yeah, a lot of times the improvement has to do with who you're playing. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a fair point. Uh, it it still doesn't diminish the fact that Baylor was very strong in all three phases against Kansas. Mm -hmm. Granted, granted. Um, and honestly, John, I, I think you said Baylor's offensive line played okay against Kansas. I thought they looked pretty good, mm -hmm. honestly, against uh, obviously a, a weak team. But they were down how many starters in that game? Three offensive line starters. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was an impressive performance. But there's a big difference between playing the Jayhawks and going on the road and playing a West Virginia team that's at least mediocre. 
Um, and let's just face it. I think that this Baylor team may be kind of an up-and-down team this year. I mean, uh, COVID being part of that, but first-year coach, first-year system, um, you know, problems on the offensive line, uh, you know, against better teams they on the road, they may struggle. And so I think that's that plays a big factor into this. But to me, it wasn't just the offensive line that was a problem in that game. I think I thought it was the entire offense. And and certainly, you know, another cliche is it starts up front. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think the running backs were good. I didn't think the receivers were good. And I didn't think Charlie Brewer was good, which brings me to my next question. Uh, so, obviously, Charlie was under duress a lot of the game, as you just uh, noted, John, six sacks. Um, but it was far from his best effort, um, and certainly not, not what you want to see from a senior four-year starter at quarterback uh, against, you know, like I said, a mediocre team. Um, as good as Brewer is, and we've seen him, you know, Peak Brewer is really good. I mean, I think back to the Texas Bowl, uh, you know, a couple years ago where, you know, he put on the cowboy hat after the game because he was the MVP. And, you know, I mean, he was he was top drawer in that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was probably one of his best efforts ever. But he also has mixed in his share of stinkers, you know. Um, so I'm not suggesting that they need to make a change at quarterback, but doesn't – Charlie need to play better? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think he still is a little indecisive in uh, Larry Fedora's offense. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry wants him to maybe stay in the pocket a little more, not uh, not scramble, not be as prone to run. But I think that's just Charlie. I think that's got to be part of his game, you know, just getting out of the pocket. And, uh, you know, if he sees an opening – you know, pick up five or six yards, maybe get a first down. And uh, I don't think you can really take that out of him. Yeah, there's a fine line, uh, not to step on, I'm sure you were about to chime in, Chad, but there's a fine line. brilliant, too. Well, sorry. Uh, there's a fine line between, like, telling a guy to, you know, keep himself safe or, mm-hmm. or taking away, like, part of who he is as a player and and then letting him loose, you know. I mean, uh, we saw that with Robert Griffin in the NFL where it was like, you know, we want him to run, but we also don't want him to get killed, you know, and, and obviously it didn't work out well, I mean, because right. uh, he, he got hurt. So, you know, Chad, what do you think? Yeah, I think quarterback is such a, an interesting position because you think about how difficult it is, and, I, and I've – uh, heard it described eloquently as playing quarterback is like trying to defuse a pipe bomb while learning to speak Cantonese. Okay. That's deep, man. That's a Chuck Klosterman uh, okay. quote. All right. right? Um, That's deep. And so it's like really difficult. So you talk about coaches talking about a quarterback, the game slows down for him and things like that, and, and things like that happen, you know, and, and you get better as you go along. Theoretically, that's one way it can go. But then the other thing about the quarterback position is that you know who the most popular guy on campus is? Backup quarterback. The backup quarterback. Yeah, sure. Right? So you can get in there, and you don't have all this pressure on. You haven't had a week to think about it, and you go fire off and do all these things right. Mm. The more games you get in there and the more you, you put on tape and the other teams can watch and see what you like and don't like, the harder it gets. 
And I thought for like years, um, Texas A&M's quarterbacks would start out awesome and get worse as they went mm. along. Mm. And so it's almost I almost feel like you're seeing kind of that situation taking place with, with Charlie. He's he's had his first couple of you know super really good years, and now it's like that pivotal point is like he going to take the next step and be great, or are people going to start really clamoring for for Gary Bohannon or, or Zeno to play? You know, uh, I'm going to put this out here, out there. None of us have played college quarterback. Uh, True. <laughs> let's just put that out there. Yeah. So, you know, take the criticism, you know, from a place of this is just what we do. You know, I mean, this is part of what we have to do as, as sports writers and, and stuff is sometimes be a little critical. But um, I do feel like it is a hard job. It's a lot easier to, you know, throw against air than it is to to throw against, you know, uh, when when people are coming at you mm-hmm. and, and you're under duress. And undoubtedly, when you are getting sacked six times, that gets in your head. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you get happy feet sometimes, but you don't need to. I mean, but I thought, you know, he, he had two interceptions in that game, John. Yeah. Uh, and then one that got called back because uh, the guy was out of bounds on the back of the end zone. And I thought all three of those throws were were not good throws. I mean, you could say that about almost any interception. But, I mean, sometimes you see a lucky interception that mm. bounces off the guy's hands or something. But they, they were bad throws. And, um, and ones that I'm sure Charlie watching film wishes he had back. Yeah. Uh, I will say, though, he – he really showed how, how gritty of a player he is, though, because, you know, their offense was doing nothing. Um, you know, with four minutes left, left, Lovett got stopped at the goal line is kind of a questionable play. But then he comes back and hits a 34-yard touchdown pass to Josh Fleeks. And then he hits Ben Sims for 25-yard touchdown the first uh, first overtime. Mm. So, I mean, he, he still has that. Right. And, and that's why he will be the starter this year. As long as he's healthy, yeah. Because no, you know he he's got that toughness in him. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think one of my first columns I ever wrote, uh, you know, when Charlie, who did he have that big comeback against when he first got in a game? Remember his freshman year? Oh, it's West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. There you go. And I called him Chucky Comeback, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I've trotted that nickname out a few <laughs> times, but uh, you know, he he has moxie. Yeah, Absolutely, he, yeah. he has moxie, and I mean that that kind of grit, that kind of um, never feeling like you're out of a game. I mean that that's a, a characteristic you want in a quarterback too. So, mm-hmm. um, so I was reading a column this week by Kirk Bowles of the Austin American Statesman. What do we call him, Johnny? Well, Becky Sullivan, uh, this is jokingly, and Kirk even knew this, uh, called him Poison Pen. Poison Pen. Oh, Poison Pen. Oh, Poison Pen down there in Austin. <laughs> so I was reading a column by I was going to say, Kirk always got a laugh out of that, Yeah, too. that's pretty good. Anyway. Uh, and, he, and he put out the poison out there. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he basically hammered the nail in the Big 12's coffin from a national perspective. Yeah. And his take... Where, you know, it was maybe a little more nuanced in the column that I'm giving him credit for. But uh, basically was that Oklahoma and Texas lost last week. The conference, you know, is is hurting from a national perspective, you know. And um, it's a theory that uh, notoriously bristly 
TCU coach Gary Patterson bristled at, uh, you know, this week when it was brought up to him in the in the Big 12 teleconference. And he said, um, you know, we got a lot of good teams in this conference. I get tired of hearing, you know, about just Oklahoma, Texas, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I tend to kind of agree with Gary Patterson on this, you know, and I want to get y'all's thoughts. Is the Big 12 – ever going to thrive as a conference if it can't get past this notion that the league is down if Texas and OU are down? Well, I, uh, I think that kind of goes back to 2014 when Baylor and TCU tied for the championship. They were... Oh, there was definitely, in Gary <laughs> Patterson's mind, some of that uh, residue. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, they were both really good and, uh, you know, they didn't make it. And I think part of that you know, people look down on the league because Oklahoma and Texas weren't quite as good as they usually and were that TCU year. And TCU and Baylor aren't a brand name. Exactly. So I don't know if the Big 12's ever going to escape that. I mean, OU, especially OU, and somewhat Texas should be up there, but they usually aren't every year. <laughs> uh, I don't know if the Big 12 will ever escape that, just because those are like the traditional powers and yeah, it's just kind of look that way. If if they're down, the league's down. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't agree with that, but I think nationally it's always going to be like that. Well, what we have here is a very good example of the flawed nature of college football. Okay, because college football is about big names. Right, mm-hmm. it's not about. Right. Um, I don't want to say it's not about equality because that's like kind of going up against some. Maybe National, trigger words right, that we've seen yeah. this year, but um, but I mean it's about big names and and it's about uh, you know a hundred thousand people in a stadium and it's about Ohio State versus Michigan and Texas versus Oklahoma and mm-hmm. that's what people get really excited about you know and and to have something that's that popular and then you have a vote for what four teams get to play for the championship. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it should be a minimum of sixteen teams. Mm, yeah, and and so so you see why college basketball is such a superior product to college. I, football. I knew this is where you were going, and it's a great point because honestly, uh, like you said, I mean, we you roll out in the college football season, you fall out of bed, and it's Alabama, Clemson every freaking year. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, in college basketball, people just can't get enough of the Cinderella story. I mean, it's all what March is all about. Mm-hmm. And and every year you have some teams that just emerge and 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 you know, you have the Gonzagas and the the Butlers and these teams that Villanova. make yeah. Royal right. Chicago need not apply in college football. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, it's a very elitist sport. Yeah. And and I think you're right. It it hurts the league that 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 perception is out there because Gary Patterson is right. There are other good teams that emerge from the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and we've seen it before. And obviously, 2014 is the 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 best example. So is this the first time we've all three agreed with Gary Patterson? <laughs> Probably so. Probably so. Although uh, I do agree with him. Uh, you know, in blocking all three of us on Twitter, mm. you know, I mean, anybody from Waco, he blocks. Well, so, yeah. you know, uh, 
That's legit. Am I important enough to be blocked by Gary Patterson uh, on Twitter? Well, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't say so, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, talking about one of those good teams from the Big 12, or at least that has the appearance, the veneer of a good team, um, we'll get into this, I guess. So, Oklahoma State, they haven't exactly played Murderer's Row here. But the Cowboys are undefeated. They've given up just 27 points in three games. Mm -hmm. That's pretty quality, uh, you know, points against. So could the flying mullets be a factor on the national stage in 2020? I think that really remains to be seen. But, you know, I think their defense is really good. They've got a whole bunch of seniors, very experienced. I think that could be pretty good all year. Uh, You know, obviously with uh, Chuba. I mean, Chuba. 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 Always, I always think it should be Chuba. It does look like it should be Chuba. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they've got a great running game. I'm not sure about their quarterbacks. I mean, you know, they're probably just kind of average. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, going back to OU Texas, they've already taken hits. So that's going to hurt the league. That's probably going to hurt Oklahoma State. Hmm. But if they go unbeaten... Oh, they're in the mix. If they they're go definitely in the mix. Yeah, I mean, I, that would be a major slight against the Big 12 if you had a, a, a an undefeated Power 5 team that didn't sure, make yeah. the Final Four. No, so, yeah. I mean, what's your thought on, on the Cowboys? So, uh, Coach Mullet. <laughs> Gundy. Him, Mike Gundy, yeah. I drew a blank all of a sudden. It's a weird thing. Mullet. I couldn't think of his name. <laughs> I love that. Okay. But... He's a weird dude. He is a weird dude. I mean, dude. he might be kind of like underrated weird, like below the radar weird. <laughs> yeah. But like he, like like in all reality, he might be as weird as Mike Leach. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Maybe I, I not that bad weird. That well, he is Mike a man. Leach is off the radar. He's off the Yeah, yeah but the no, I think I understand what you're saying. I do feel like he's underrated weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we all agree he's a man, though, right? So. He's 40. Yeah, he's 50 now. <laughs> yeah. You know that was that when he had that rant. It was after they had beaten Texas Tech in a game where neither defense stopped the other offense all day. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so, and then that rant happened, and then a little a few weeks later, Bryce and I got ranted at. So oh, I've always yes, pegged that yes. back on. on that was the year Coach of the Gundy. rant. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was all yeah. Gundy's fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, <laughs> so, but. So I all I say all that to say Mike Gundy's weird, right? And this is a weird year, yeah. right? So why shouldn't Gundy's team thrive in this weirdness? Maybe they yeah. should, and maybe they will. I kind of feel like the Big Twelve needs them to, uh, as the last lone unbeaten team. Um, you know, so probably the best hope, I guess, for maybe a playoff team. Yeah, but you're operating under a situation where it's like. That there's going to be any validity to any playoff system that happens this year. Well, so my feeling on college football is uh, kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier, and I, I think it's the dumbest sport of all uh, in terms <laughs> of the way it's set up. I mean, and I know we're sitting here on a college football uh, podcast, and I'm talking about how dumb the sport is, but I'm not saying it's not enjoyable. Mm. I'm just saying that. Um, you know, for a hundred years, they had the stupidest way to determine a champion ever, and now it's only mildly better. Right. Um, and it's better, 
But it's got a long way to go. Yeah. Uh, well, but but like what I'm saying though is like five years from now, if somebody's out there going, we won the title in 2020. Everybody else can be like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I mean, a title's a title if you win it. I mean, uh, you're gonna claim. Says it. the guy wearing the Astros T-shirt. Okay. Or Astros that's polo. a whole other podcast. We're gonna end it right there. <laughs> baby. I'm just saying, you know, don't losing, get me fired up, record, You're losing record going into postseason, and all of a sudden kicking everybody's butt. It is 2020.